Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Jesus wants to get the message to the thick-headed disciples that the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is good news for everybody. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to another episode of Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we're wrapping up Pastor Jeff's final message in our Salt and Light series. It's about approaching the other side, being salt and light in and beyond our communities. We started in Mark chapter 4 and we're now skipping through to Mark chapter 8, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Let's rejoin Pastor Jeff now for the rest of this message on Today with Jeff Vines. Now, the demons actually speak to Jesus because I guess evidently he spoke to them first. Mark chapter 5, verse 7, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And we begged Jesus, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So he talks to the demons. The demons say, don't send us out of here. That's interesting, isn't it? We feel so comfortable here. Let us stay here. Don't kill us. We feel comfortable here. We're not suspected here. This is our home. This is our land. So don't kill us and don't send us away from here. Just send us out of this guy if you have to. Now, imagine your disciples watching this. It's like the second part of the omen. It's like the exorcist. You're watching this and the demons are talking to Jesus. This would be a little bit freaky, wouldn't it? And of course, in their minds, they're saying, well, of course, this kind of thing's gonna happen. We're on the other side. Everybody's possessed by demons over here. And they've met one person from the capitalist and already that's what you do when you're on the other side. You tend to generalize and think everybody's the same. And then something interesting happens again. The demons or the demons within the pigs talk back. I I wish I could have been, well, no, I really don't wish I could have been there, but how does that work exactly? Does the pig speak or does something speak with inside the pig? Because now it's getting really weird. And the pig speaks or the demons speak and they say to Jesus, send us into the pigs, away from the guy into the pigs. Then what happens then? And Jesus says, okay, go. And according to the Bible, 2,000 pigs run over a cliff into a lake and drown. Now for you and me, That's one way of reading the story. For the Jewish mind, they're going to read it totally differently because you and I, when we think of pigs, we think of little cute animals like Porky Pig, right? Something really, really cute. (laughs) Or maybe if you're my age, if you're my age, you might think of uh, Green Acres. How many of you remember Green Acres? Who was the smartest character on Green Acres? Arnold Ziffel, who's the pig, right? 
He was a pig. Just seemed so sad then that 2,000 pigs are dying. Or personally, my favorite, a Timon and Pumbaa from The Lion King. And the little song that they sing, remember, when the predators try to take advantage, you know, are you aching for some bacon? You can be a big pig too. I like those little rhymes. I like the Walt Disney. It's really sad, all these pigs dying. Now, the people's response, however, in the city is interesting to say the least. The Bible says those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. Well, you bet your bacon they did because imagine you're a pig herder and you come home with no pigs and your boss owner says, hey, where are the 2,000 pigs? What are you going to say? Well, boss, there was a mass suicide. I mean, <laughs> he's not going to go for that, which is why in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5, verse 14b, the people, the Bible says, went out to see what happened. They want to see for themselves. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now, that's surprising, isn't it? What? Nobody says, wow, look at what Jesus can do. Man, look at what the change he's made in this guy. No, they just come down and want him to leave town. Nobody says, wow, could you come heal my mother or my sister or my brother? Could you come and heal my ailment? They just beg Jesus to get back in the boat and leave and go back to his side. Now, why? Well, it could be that he's bad for pig business. That, that could be it. But I think there's more to that because just in the same way this side has presuppositions about the other side, I think the other side has presuppositions about Jesus' side. And maybe they think you guys are just over here to hurt and belittle us and demean us. Or maybe they think you're not really here because you care about us. You're just here to progress your own agenda. Or maybe their attitude is everybody we've met from your side comes over here and they have this superiority attitude or judgmentalism. And why don't you just get back in the boat and go home? And you know what Jesus does? He gets back in the boat and he goes home. Now, here's the beautiful part of the story in verse 18. As Jesus is getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now, this is beautiful, but also sad. The man's been healed. I mean, my goodness, this guy's been living in the graves. He's scarred all over the place. I mean, he's demon-possessed by a legion, and now he's healed. He's made well. And he goes out and stands on the shore as the boat's moving back, and he begs Jesus, let me come with you. Let me come to be with you and your disciples. Let me come to the other side. I want to go to your side. And Jesus tells him no. So the guy just begs and he pleads and he cries. Let me go, let me go. And Jesus says no. And then he gives the reason in verse 19. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, imagine what this guy's feeling as the boat is rowing away. And I can just see Jesus. You know, let me meander a little bit. I, I wish we knew more details sometimes. Jesus kind of waving and smiling. It's okay, you stay but I want to go. No, you stay and you go tell your story. Go on then. And all of a sudden I can see this demon possessed guy getting a look of determination, a kind of definitive resolve where he says, you know what? He has changed me. Look at what Jesus has done to me and for me. I'm going to do it. That's it. I'm going to, I'm going to go out to all the campus. I'm going to tell as many people as I can, look at what Jesus did for me. And I'm going to bring light to the other side. And then in verse 20 of Mark 5, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, at this point, Jesus wants to make sure the disciples get it because they're a little slow. They are. You know, they need remedial help. That's why sometimes Jesus refuses just to dispense information. That's what you want sometimes, isn't it? You want a, a little bulletin outline with fill in the blanks and you want me to dispense information that you can take home and put that piece of paper somewhere where you'll never look at it again. 
So Jesus refuses just to dispense information. Instead, he gives life experiences. And when he does that, you're supposed to learn. Well, this is one of those life experiences. And he's trying to tell the disciples, look, the problem with you guys is you always, always want to hang out on your side. You never want to go to the other side. And that's your problem. And I'm trying to teach you that my love for your side is just as intense as my love for the other side. I love both sides. Now, just to show you how Jesus goes to great lengths to show this, now I know in the next few minutes it's going to sound like, well, backwards and then forwards, but just stay with me. Move ahead if you can. It will be on the screen to Mark chapter 8, verse 2, and look at something. Jesus is on the other side again. Now, let me paint the picture for you. We've been in Mark 5, where Jesus went on to the other side of the Decapolis region. Then he leaves after he heals the demon-possessed man, tells him to stay behind, and he leaves and comes back to his side. A couple chapters go by, and evidently Jesus said, hey guys, let's go to the other side again. Now we're in Mark chapter 8. Move ahead if you can to Mark chapter 8 verse 2 and look at something. I know that every pig in town is probably hiding, but 4,000 people show up to hear Jesus speak. And he says something interesting in Mark chapter 8 verse 2. He says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, contrast that. You get it? Three days, no food. Contrast that back in Mark 6 again. So we're not on the other side. We're back on Jesus' side in Mark 6 where he feeds 5,000. He feeds 4,000 over here on the other side, 5,000 over here. When he feeds the 5,000, it's only one day. The very first day, midway through the day, the disciples come to Jesus and says, hey, there's a lot of people here. And you know why they do this? Because they're on their side. There's 5,000 people here who need food. Aren't we going to feed them? It's only the first day. And Jesus says, okay, let's feed them. He feeds them. And according to Mark 6, verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Now look up. Numbers in the Bible are very important. The number 12 a very important number, 12 apostles, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 always represented the people of God. So that's why people sometimes get confused when they come to Revelation and read 144,000. What's this? Well, 144,000 are multiples of two numbers, 12 and 10. 12, all God's people, 10, perfection. So it's just a way of saying through signs and symbols that all God's people, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved and will be with God in heaven. So the number 12, God's people. Jesus was gutsy and aggressive when he chose 12 disciples. It wasn't just an odd number. He didn't sit around and think, how many disciples should I choose? From the get-go, 12 disciples. It was supposed to be a clear message to the people that the kingdom of God has come. God is speaking to the nation Israel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And let me tell you, when they went through the crowd after Jesus fed the 5,000 on the Israelite side, how many baskets did they collect? 12. Why? Now I can just see this man. I can see Jesus saying, uh, Philip, how many baskets did you get? Uh, that'd be 12, Jesus. Uh, say it again. 12? Yeah, 12. 12, right? Okay, 12. Andrew, how many did we get? Did you guys count them? Yeah, we counted them. We got 12 baskets of food. How many is that? 12? So that everybody could hear, so that everybody would understand what's happening with the 12 baskets. It's God's sign again that the kingdom of God is upon you. God is providing for his people and he has not forgotten them. Okay, that's Mark 6. Now jump ahead again to Mark 8. We're back over on the other side where he's feeding 4,000. Not the five, he's feeding 4,000. And guess what happens? First day goes by, disciples don't say a thing. Second day goes by, disciples say nothing. Third day goes by, they don't say anything. Finally, it's Jesus has to say, man, 
Don't you think we ought to feed these people? Three days. Why? Because in the disciples' mind, they're thinking, let these heathens feed themselves. Because they just don't get it and they just don't care. And Jesus performs another miracle, feeds the 4,000 because he has mercy and compassion on everyone. And then he sends the disciples out to collect the leftovers. Guess how many baskets they collected? Not 12, seven. Gee, why? How many nations live in the Decapolis? Seven. It's God's way of saying it's not 12 this time. This 12, the kingdom of God is at hand, but God not only has compassion is restoring the nation of Israel, but he's also having compassion and wants to meet the needs of even the pagan nations because God loves all people and he doesn't separate it like you and I do. It's them out there and us in here because we're all sinners in this room saved by grace and God wants the disciples to get it. I want my grace to go to the world, to the nations. The good news is good news is coming for everyone. As a matter of fact, Jesus wants to get the message to the thick-headed disciples that the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is good news for everybody, even people on the other side. You with me? Okay. Now, don't miss this next part because, you know, it's kind of like this is, this is like where it all culminates. If you miss this, you miss it all. I want you to think about something. Let it ruminate with you for what we've just talked about. First time Jesus goes to the other side, He's met by a party of one, a demon-possessed man. He heals him, and then the crowd comes down out of the town and says, go back to the other side. That's the first time. Second time, Jesus comes back to that region, the region of Decapolis. And this time, according to Matthew 15, his version of events, he writes that great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the cripple, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. So the first time Jesus goes over, nobody's home except this pathetic, demon-wretched, tormented man who lives in the caves. And everybody begs him to leave. Second time, Jesus had one of the most dramatic responses to his coming and his ministry as in all the New Testament. And I have to ask what changed. Was it a mass marketing campaign on behalf of the disciples? You know what changed, don't you? One man told his story. And everything changed. When I was a little boy playing boys club basketball, my dad decided one year to coach us, just one year. And my dad's a good, humble man. And uh, he was the kind of coach that wanted all the players to play, wanted everybody to have a chance. Don't you love those kind of coaches? And it was, uh, we'd gone through the season. Now we were in the tournament. And my dad called me aside. You know, after we'd had the team pep talk, he put his arm around me. He said, son, now I want to say something to you and I want you to take it well. I said, what, dad? He said, I don't want you to hog the ball. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. That sounds like you weren't surprised. (laughs) He said, son, I do not want you to hog the ball. Now, you know what that means? Hogging the ball means every time you get it, you shoot it. Uh, So anyway... Uh, I said, well, dad, why? why? I I haven't done that all year. He says, I know, but I know you really want to win the tournament. And I know that you'll try to take it on yourself to make everything happen. So I I want you to spread the ball around and we're going to, we're going to win this as a team. So we go through the first half and we're down by 10 or 12 points. And I'll never forget this. My father comes to me at halftime after he told the guys, Hey, you can do it. Let's go get out there. Then he pulls me aside again. He said, son, uh, there's a, there's a change in game plan. (laughs) I said, I said, what is it, dad? My dad looked at me and said, 
I'm going to turn you loose. And I never forget my dad's. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm going to turn you loose. What do you mean, dad? When you get the ball, shoot it. And so if those of you who play basketball know, I became like a black hole. You know, a black hole, it comes in there, but it never comes out. And so I shot so many times, they started to call me Kobe. And, and let me tell you, Kobe hadn't even been born yet. It must have been a prophecy. It was a prophecy of some kind. I'll never get my dad's hand on a turn. Now listen, Jesus is teaching the disciples there is a way that even the Decapolis region can be reached that they have not, never thought of before. A way that Jesus believed might even be better than a healing spree. And I believe that it was one day our rabbi said, good news is coming to the God-forsaking, pig-eating, devil-worshiping, Roman-infested other side, and you demon boy, tomb-dweller, chain-breaker, you're going into the game. I'm going to turn you loose. Just tell your story and keep on telling your story. Now, I got two questions for everybody in this room before you leave. The first is this. Do you even have a story to tell? Look at me now. Is Jesus doing something in you, man? Has he done something in to transform you? Is there even a difference in your life because of him? Are you the same old person? What story do you have to tell? You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't have a story. Let me tell you why. Because you're not engaged in the disciplines. You're not reading the word. You're not allowing the spirit to get in you and to convict you of changes that need to take place in your life and then to give you the power to make those changes so there's a difference in you. Church can become that spiritual buzz. That's it. But how's he changed in the way you see the world, the way you see your marriage and your children, the way you see your workplace? How's he changed the way you feel about things? How's he changed about your sense of eternality, that you're living your life for a purpose greater than yourself? What has he done? What transformation is in you that is so compelling that you have a story to tell of what God rescued from, of how he changed you, of how he shapes and molds you through tragedy, through triumph? What story do you have to tell? And is it noticeable? Imagine seeing this guy. Think about it. You're in Decapolis. You've heard this guy howling at the moon and cutting himself. himself, And all of a sudden, this guy appears in the streets. And you see him, but he looks nothing like he used to look. What are you going to do? You're going to say, dude, what happened to you? And he's going to say, dude, Jesus happened to me. And I'm asking you, has Jesus happened to you? Is there a dramatic transformation happening in your life? What difference has he made? And if he has, what story are you telling? Or are you just like everybody else, man, where there's no difference between you and somebody who is not a Christ follower and there's no story to tell? I know it's a hard lesson, but it's a hard question, but you've got to ask it, man. Because the Bible says he wants to transform, he wants to change, he wants to give you victory. Has he transformed you and are you telling your story? My friend, Tony Bennett, I got a telephone call on the cell from the Washington Post, pretty liberal newspaper. And they called and they said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about your friend, Tony Bennett. And I've been in interviews before and you learn over time not to trust the media because you gotta be careful what you say, man. That's why it's hard to trust anything that you see. I'm sorry, it is. They'll take a clip and it makes you sound like something that you never intended. And so I was very careful because I know that a lot of these newspapers would love to remove a coach like Tony Bennett. And here's why. Tony is a, a man of impeccable character and of integrity. This is a guy who was the first NBA basketball player to play in New Zealand. And that's where we met. And uh, he, to, the, to this day, he is the leading three-point shooter as far as average goes. To this day, top of the list. A great ball player. 
But he doesn't want to be known as a great ball player. He wants to be known as a follower of Jesus, a man of integrity and character. And wherever he goes, he tells his story. And so I was afraid this, this newspaper writer was wanting to, he'd, I'm sure a lot of these liberal papers would love to remove a guy like Tony Bennett out of, this, out of the university system that would talk about Christ. Because you can talk about anything today except Jesus. And so I was very careful and I tried to explain to him, look, Tony Bennett is not a guy that goes around bashing people over the head with his Bible. He is a guy that tells his story and tells people the difference Jesus has made in his marriage, in his life, in his walk, in the way he looks at eternity. When he was in New Zealand, being the first NBA basketball player, people thought he would be arrogant. He was humble. He did the basketball camps for free. He invested in New Zealand basketball players. One kid, Kirk Penny, who's New Zealand's greatest basketball player. I mean, they really believe he's the greatest of all time, but he's an amazing kid. But Tony took this guy and told his story, and now Kirk tells his story, and it's like a domino effect. See, a lot of people think you have to be a theologian. <laughs> or you can't tell your story. You remember the guy in the Bible who Jesus healed in John 9 who was blind? And the Pharisees came to him and they said, hey, who healed you? And he said, well, this man from Nazareth, Jesus. And he says, oh, he healed you on the Sabbath. Don't you know that? Yeah. Well, this guy's a sinner. And I love the guy's response. Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I just know that at first I was blind and now I see. (laughs) I love that. Jesus wants you simply to tell your story. You don't have to be a theologian and understand the doctrine of grace and Christology and eschatology. Just tell your story. And that's what Tony does so well. Is Tony perfect? I want to tell you, Tony Bennett is not perfect, (laughs) but he's always telling his story. Second question, where is your other side? Where is the other side that you don't go to, that you always hanging out on your side that he wants you to go to and tell your story over there? Uh, My sister-in-law, Shanda, who's married to Mark, has what she calls Facebook parties. So she's got all this network on Facebook and she'll have a party at her house And then when they come, she'll have somebody just tell their story of their faith. That is a brilliant idea of how to use today's media for the gospel. Just get all your Facebook buddies together, feed them. Everybody likes food. And then let them hear somebody share the story of life change. What a great idea. Where's the other side of your life? Where is it your workplace? Those demon-possessed, bad language, dropping, porn-addicted, irreligious Raider fans? (laughs) I mean, I had to get that in sooner or later. You know that was coming. Jesus has the oddest strategy, how he plans on infiltrating the other side. He transforms us, then we have a story to tell, and then he just turns us loose. Jesus looks at us and says, I'm going to turn you loose, son. I'm going to turn you loose. Jesus just wants real people who've experienced real change, who are willing to tell their real story. And he doesn't separate it like we do. It's us and them. To God, all of them, both sides are his people. And he wants those of us who have crossed over to tell our story so that those who are headed for a Christless eternity can find Christ and come to God's side. I hope and pray that you get this message, that I hope that you have a story to tell and that you're telling it. That is the reason you're here. That is the reason God is shaping and molding is to get you to tell your story so that those who are far from God can come near. And I hope and pray that there are others of you with such creative minds that you will think of Facebook parties and you will think of gathering your friends at a barbecue and you will learn it's not about being a theologian, it's about simply sharing your story. 
that others may know the change that has happened in you. Father, thank you for the power of your love and the power of your word. And I pray right now in Jesus' name that our eyes would have been open, that we would be clear, that you have a calling on our lives, first of all, to transform us into people that we never thought we could become, and then to tell our stories of transformation. Be willing to share what Jesus is doing in our lives with the other side, wherever that is in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill, and it's been a joy to bring this series to you. I hope that it's encouraged you to go out and approach the other side and fearlessly share your story to introduce Jesus and God's love to those who need it. Please join me next time for a new series from Pastor Jeff. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.